This is the McKinsey Podcast, where we help you make sense out of our world's toughest business challenges. Welcome to the show. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. I think the mindset that, that great chiefs of staff often have is that this is really a team sport and that their success is really around making the other executives in the business successful as well. That's McKinsey senior partner, Andrew Goodman. He's here to talk about the role of chief of staff, not in government, but in business. After meeting with CEOs, it was a daunting prospect when McKinsey senior partner, Carolyn Dewar, started her career. Then she realized CEOs are people too. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Roberta. It's great to be here. When I think of a chief of staff, I'm thinking government, right? I'm thinking the White House. But increasingly, we're seeing chiefs of staff in the business setting. What do people in this role do? There's a wide range of different types of chief of staff. Probably the the real common feature of all chiefs of staff is that they typically support a principal. Most commonly in businesses, that's the CEO of the business. And a reasonable portion, probably almost 50% of the companies that we see have some form of chief of staff to the CEO. They take a wide variety of different names. They can be called chiefs of staff. They can be called business executives, anything in between. But really, the core of their job is making their principal, the CEO, their boss, as effective as they can possibly be. And that includes helping to manage the information flow. So be that board presentations, uh, be that key decision meetings. It includes preparing them for events. Typically, people in those roles speak publicly quite frequently. And they also help them manage the organization as effectively as they can. At any given time, a CEO is often thinking about a very large number of different in-flight actions and activities. And in some ways, great chiefs of staff play the air traffic control role, helping a CEO to really manage that, that workflow and, and that flow of actions and activities. It sounds as though the tasks are similar in both domain of government and in the private sector, which is really interesting. So who qualifies for this position? Sort of what type of personality traits or professional experience do you need to be an effective chief of staff? We see in quite a few companies, chiefs of staff being high potential individuals, often their second or third job in the company. You know, they're often in their uh, mid to late 20s, early 30s. And they usually come, at least in the first instance, from within the company because they need that expertise and that background within the company and within the organization. At the other end of the spectrum, there are some companies who have very senior chiefs of staff. So some of the world's largest companies have chiefs of staff who may be in the last two or three jobs of their careers. They may have run very large parts of the, the business previously. They, they may have had pretty significant PL responsibilities. And when you see people doing that job, they're often acting in some sense as a proxy for the CEO in certain areas. They might have very deep expertise. So some of the big banks, for example, have historically had chiefs of staff with very deep regulatory expertise. And so there really is no typical profile, but you do see a bit of a clustering, you know, at those two ends of them. Let's sort of bring the role to life a little bit. What does a typical day in the life of a chief of staff at a large Fortune 100 company look like? 
Roberta, it won't surprise you to know that what we've learned from running our Chief of Staff Forum over the last decade or so, through that we've spent time with several hundred Chiefs of Staff, is there really is no typical day. But but maybe just illustrate a few of the types of things that, that a Chief of Staff might do in their day. Many Chiefs of Staff do travel, and obviously many Chief Executives have pretty busy travel schedules. And, and if you are traveling, that really does involve often being a, a very material shadow to the CEO. So that might, for example, mean joining many of the meetings that they're in in order to ensure that they're fully prepared for the meeting, in order to kind of take a note, take a record of it. It might include you know, preparing the presentations uh, or the dinner speeches that they're going to kind of give later that, uh, later that night. When chiefs of staff are in the office, they're typically uh, doing a couple of things. They might be looking at and preparing the materials, the, the, the core paper flow for the CEO. But they're also often spending a lot of time with other members of the executive team and other people in the organization, partly building trust with them, partly understanding the challenges that they're facing, but also being able to keep a finger on the pulse of the organization so that they can help be a bit of a um, spidey sense or a bit of peripheral vision for the CEO to understand what's going on in the, in the company. You mentioned this idea of trust. How should a chief of staff build trust with the with their principals or the leaders that they serve are there best practices that that we've seen in our work with chiefs of staff trust is incredibly important in any relationship and particularly in a relationship that's often as close as a chief of staff and their and their principal it's particularly important there's a few things that we've seen over the years that really help in building that that trust the first is delivery. I think particularly if there isn't a existing relationship between the chief of staff and the CEO, you're often really judged over those first two or three months of the relationship on whether or not you deliver, whether or not you're able to be able to prepare them well, produce really high quality external presentations, and really do what you've said you're going to do, help them execute within the organization. The second thing is over time for most people, you will start to build some form of interpersonal relationship. It's a very natural part of spending you know, many, many hours together, typically on a, uh, on a weekly basis. One of the things that we've noticed is that as part of the interpersonal relationship, the chief of staff is one of the few people who can give the principal they're working for feedback. That doesn't start with huge kind of earth-shattering feedback on day one, but it typically builds over time to the point where a CEO or a principal is really saying, I really value this person's opinion. They're telling me things that I don't necessarily hear from other people in the organization on a day-to-day basis. And then the third thing that we often see as part of that uh, trust-building relationship uh, is really being able to provide advice and to provide judgment. And they're seeing pretty much everything, at least at the exact level, that goes on in the organization. And so great chiefs of staff are able to use that to build pattern recognition and to provide the principals and, and the CEOs that they work with with that advice and, and with that judgment, which is often really powerful. The other thing that I say about trust is it works with the executive team as well. And so I think great chiefs of staff are able to build trust-based relationships, not just with the principals they work with, but also with the rest of the executives and the executive team. And you know that comes from spending time with those individuals, but it also comes from helping them to succeed. And I think the mindset that, that great chiefs of staff often have is that this is really a team sport and that their success is really around making the other executives in the business successful as well. Do chiefs of staff tend to deal with loneliness or are there, are there support groups or <laughs> things that chiefs of staff need to do their jobs well? 
It's a great point. It is almost by its nature a little bit of a a little bit of a lonely role, and it's also a very intense role. I mean, we shouldn't forget that many you know chief executives work by and large very very hard. You know, if you imagine being the chief of staff to a CEO, typically you're working the same hours of, as that CEO, and often more because you're often doing a lot of the preparation kind of outside of those hours as well. So it's an intense and and is often a lonely job. I think there are a few things that, that at least we've seen over the years that help alleviate some of that loneliness. The first is great chiefs of staff build really strong networks within the organizations that they work in. And that's often not just the executive team members, but it's reaching to you know one, two, three levels down in the organization to find the really great people who can help them deliver uh, and who they can partner with in order to achieve some of the things that the chief exec is, is trying to do so. The second thing that we typically see is it's an amazing role for being able to meet people externally. I mean, chiefs of staff will often travel with their CEO. They'll meet sometimes the chiefs of staff of, of, of other principals that they're working with. Finding opportunities to meet and spend time with other chiefs of staff is a pretty interesting way of finding people who are dealing with some common challenges and, you know, provide a bit of kinship and, and friendship as well. So, Andrew, in our research on chiefs of staff, you note that Many choose to leave the organization after, say, 12 to 18 months in the role. Did that surprise you? We found the fact that many chiefs of staff leave the organization as well as their role pretty surprising. I mean, if you think about it, the chief of staff role gives you this incredible visibility across the company or the organization that you work for. To some degree, the the 12 to 18 month time period didn't surprise us that much. As I say, this is a pretty intense job. And so for a lot of people, it's deliberately designed to be a one to two year role and, and, and often structured to be rotational, although some people do do it for longer. So we spent some time talking to chiefs of staff about why they chose to leave. And there's a couple of kind of themes that came out of that. The first was for a lot of people, there was a natural transition point with the principal they were working for. It might be a CEO who was moving on or retiring, or it might be they were working for another exec who moved roles. And so to some degree, there is a natural transition point. But you know, we also asked, why do those people then choose to leave the organization rather than kind of go back and do another role? Right. And part of that really came from this feeling that they'd had this incredible experience where they had seen you know, had incredible access and exposure, and that going into another role in the organization, at least in the immediate term, might feel like a bit of a letdown. It might feel like slightly deflating in some sense. And so the chiefs of staff who've executed this, one of the chiefs of staff we talked to called graceful dismount from their role, typically start planning for the next job pretty early. They typically start maybe six months before they transition to the next role. And they often work with the principal that they're working for to say, how can I start to take on some responsibilities that aren't directly part of the chief of staff role, but are going to prepare me for the next thing I want to do? But those individuals were often spending 15, 20, 25% of their time for that last three to six months in the role, starting to build expertise in the area they were going to go into, build a network, and really get prepared to make that transition. Where do they typically end up? I know that that can probably differ based on the chief of staff and their their own career goals, but are there particular roles that the chief of staff position prepares these folks for? Yeah, so 
We've followed now, you know, two to 300 people who've done this role over the last 10 years or so. And there definitely isn't a single role into which they go into, but there are a few different uh, buckets for those who leave the organization. There are a set of people who really love the chief of staff role and go on to become serial chief of staff. Now, I have to say, having done this job uh, for uh, for over a year, I found that a little bit surprising because I, I needed a very long holiday after uh, after doing this uh, after doing this job. But for some people, they love that. They love the intensity. They love working closely with the principal, and so they go on and do it uh, at another organization. And we certainly have several of those uh, what we call serial offenders who join our chief of staff forum. The second group of people often want to go into a PL ownership or a line management role, but choose to do so at another company. Interestingly, more often than not, those people switch industries. And I think part of that is having played that chief of staff role for a CEO in your industry. I think there's a bit sometimes of a feeling of loyalty to that company within the industry. And so a choice, an active choice to move into a, a different industry, but going on to do a, a PL ownership role. And then the third category of people, I think, see this as a really transformative experience, but one that causes them to make a bit of a career shift. And so we've seen people do all kinds of different things. Some people go and have become executive coaches uh, out of this. We've seen some people go and become academics. We've seen some people move from industry into investing. But they see this really as a natural career transition point. And often they will take some time. You know, we've seen people often take two, three, six months to really think about what do they want to do with their careers. Because the reality, of course, is if you're working that hard for 12, 18, 24 months, it's hard to lift your head above the parapet and, and, and really think, what do I want out of that next gig? You were formerly a chief of staff for how many years? So thankfully, I did not end up myself becoming a serial chief of staff, but I, I look with admiration on those uh, on those who choose to who choose to do that. And um, so I, I spent nearly eighteen months as the chief of staff, and so I spent a very a very intense but very enjoyable time. And I would say I think about that experience probably at least once a week, if not once a day, in my uh, in my life, whatever it is now, kind of fifteen, almost fifteen years later. So Andrew, you. You've been working with chiefs of staff, been running the forum for almost a decade now. Is that it? Almost a decade? Yeah, that's right. Andrew, just describe the forum. It's it's held how often? It meets twice a year, and it's typically a group of around 50 chiefs of staff that uh, come together, wide range of organizations, public, private, social sector, for an afternoon and an, an evening. And it's really around getting to know other people who are facing similar problems and sharing some of those lessons learned. And, you know, I've had the privilege of, of, of convening it now for, for almost a decade and have just learned a, a tremendous amount from spending time with that group of people. You know, we've probably now had a couple of hundred people who've gone through over over the course of that, of that time period. Having spent a lot of time with folks in this role, what are some best practices that that have emerged over over all this time? Let me share the two or three maybe most memorable ones from the last uh, decade, just because they really stick in the mind. I think they're quite practical. One of the chiefs of staff shared this view on prioritization, which always stuck in my mind, which is at any given time, you can only really, as any chief of staff, as a CEO, really as anyone, have five to six priorities. And he talked about this idea of two or three that were your tuxedo agenda, 
the outward facing priorities that you had and two or three that were your pajama agenda things that you know were inward facing and really around how the company or organization uh, works and i really like that idea as, as a way of thinking about priorities another one that i really liked and has stuck in my mind is this is probably now nine or ten years ago but one of the chiefs of the staff at the forum told me that throughout their time kept a running list a to-do list and, and for them the CEO really wanted to know that there was, you know, people were aware of the kind of long list of, of things that needs to be happening in the organization. And he said to me that he kept a list that had three columns. It had a column that said now, things on the now list needed to get done, you know, certainly by the end of the week, if not by the end of the day. It had a column that said soon. Things that said soon were in the category of important but not yet urgent. They probably needed to happen by the end of the month. And then the most important column, he said, was the third column, which was entitled never. And things on the never list were things that had come up in meetings and that he knew were probably never going to get done. And actually, it's probably helpful to, in some sense to shield the organization from some of those things. Mm-hmm. But it was really important to the principal that they knew that there was a list of those things somewhere so that they could uh, they could come back to them. And I've always liked this idea of uh, you know organizing your, your life and your to-do list into now, soon, and never. And I think probably for, for many of us, that resonates whether you're a chief of staff or whether you're just you're just living your living your life. Definitely. And I'm, I'm jotting notes down because I think I'm going to put this into practice. That and the tuxedo and the pajama agenda items, I, I those are great lessons. I'm going to redo my CV right now and start applying for chief of staff jobs. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Roberta. And it's an amazing job. And you know, if you're listening and you're thinking about doing it, I would strongly encourage it. It's, it's a fantastic job. Next up, when senior partner Carolyn Dewar was starting out, she felt pretty anxious about meeting with CEOs. Then she got in the room with one. I grew up in a small town. You know, meeting CEOs was not something I had ever done before. The first time I had the opportunity to meet a CEO, I was a brand new consultant out of school. The senior person invited me to come along to his one-on-one with the CEO. I was really nervous. I put on my best suit and had my hair tied back and I was ready to kind of play the role of a consultant. And I thought I would meet this person who was playing the role of a CEO. We got into the room and formal handshakes and introductions. And then the conversation started. And I realized that what I was being able to be a fly on the wall was actually a conversation between two friends, two people who cared about each other, who wanted to understand what was keeping them up at night, and who were trying to solve important problems together. And in that moment, the conversation transformed. All the pretense was off. This was about people trying to do good work together and roll up their sleeves. At the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do. Thanks so much for listening to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. Find us on McKinsey.com. We'll have a transcript of this episode up shortly. And download the McKinsey Insights app where you can find this podcast and other helpful content updated daily. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to leave a rating and a review. We'll see you in two weeks. 